Hello again, I'm Miriam Felton. Welcome to Yarn Stories Podcast. Today we're going to talk to Kim McBrien Evans of Indigo Dragonfly Designs. Kim not only co-owns the business with her husband Ron, but also designs pretty fantastic patterns. We talk about her grabby hands inducing colors, making a wardrobe that you will actually wear and use, and the necessity of pockets. There are a few places where the audio is a bit sketchy, and I'm sorry in advance for that, and a lot of times when I had to reverse amplify my laughter, of which there is plenty. I had a great time talking to Kim, and if you enjoy our conversation at least half as much as I did, I'll count that as a job well done. Here's Kim. I'm here with Kim McBrien Evans, Prime Minionster, Snarkitect, and Evil Master Genius of Indigo Dragonfly Designs, based in Halliburton, Ontario, Canada. So, hey, Kim. Hi, how are you? Good. You focus on luxury yarns tied in new and interesting ways. Your colors are covetable, but names are the thing that really gets me. The names get everybody. They're wonderful. They're geeky and they're hilarious. Uh, Like you have a skein that has every color in the rainbow and you call it beige. Yeah, that's kind of my favorite. Yeah. So I was going to ask you what your favorite colorway name you've ever come up with is. I think that might be it. Yeah. It's pretty good. That and the other one is sargasm. Sargasm got me so bad this morning. I was like, I laughed. I like stopped my husband from, you know, getting his headphones on. And I was like, oh my God, sargasm. (laughs) Exactly. And I wish I could take credit for the names, but it's entirely my husband, Ron. Oh, that's great. Who's part owner of the business. Nice. Um, And this is how he's using his journalism degree. And I really don't fully understand how his mind works, but it's it's delightfully evil. Yeah, yeah. Some yeah. of these are just amazing. One of my other favorites is 20,000 Lawyers Under the Sea, <laughs> which became especially poignant when we were buying a house Yeah, that should have been a really simple house sale because yeah. we were already living in it and just buying our rental from the owners. Uh-huh. And we took to calling our lawyer 20,001. <laughs> Okay, so you've got like neuralgebra. Yes. Sage fright, and it's because it's kind of a sagey green. Yes. Cumber bacchanal. Well, because we're not stupid, and we know that there are some celebrities out there that are are very covetable celebrities, and so sometimes they get yarns named after them. We discovered after our first shipment of Geek Club that um, we just randomly named one of the yarns after Idris Elba. Oh. And it was a Doctor Who club shipment, so yeah. I'm really not sure how Idris Elba got himself in there, but he did. <laughs> he should and be Doctor Who. That everybody awesome. wanted that skein. Yeah. So now Idris Elba makes his way into every geek club shipment, no matter That's what wonderful. it's wonderful. Yeah. Oh, perching chipmunk venting squirrel. Yes. <laughs> Sarcasting couch. Well, that's the companion to sargasm. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Of course. That's wonderful. Uh, I believe... Although under current circumstances, we've decided that perhaps that's not the most politically <laughs> correct <laughs> yeah. name. So we're working on adjusting that one. I think we're going to call it sarcastic call from now. That's, yeah, that's probably a, best, a better, less charged name for it. We are sensitive to, to <laughs> we are sensitive to, you know, 
the goings on in the world. In fact, we had um, a yarn color that we named after a quote from the Angel series, Mm -hmm. the spinoff of Buffy. Um, that was Dresden, uh, I was going for a Dresden after the bombing kind of feel. And we had a couple of people email us and say, that's really not funny and here's why. It's still too soon? And we, it's still too soon for some people. Okay, okay I get so that. So we said, okay, that's, that's definitely not the impression we want to give of our, comp- of our yeah. company. So we came up with something that was probably equally offensive <laughs> in some circles. <laughs> So you but, but decided it was the lesser of the two evils. Yeah, and, that's fair. And we had a backstory that could that could explain explain where our thinking came from rather than what other people might be thinking about it. Yeah. So we are we are sensitive to what people will think. Um, our in fact our studio minion is our moral compass. Oh, that's good. You've got somebody to do it. So if there's anything that Ron and I feel like might be on the edge, have we gone too far? We run it past her, and if she laughs, then it stays. And if she <laughs> gives us the look. the look my mother used to give uh-huh. me. I know that look. We know no. <laughs> <laughs> so it looks like you've got a lot of really varied dye techniques going on. You've got speckles, you've got kettle dyed solids, and some stuff that I can't even figure out. Uh, so how do you come up with your colorways? Do you just play? We just play. That's We so really fun. just play. And we try to, you know, there are times when we know something needs to be repeatable. Uh-huh. And if that's the case, then we take really careful notes. But what we do... <laughs> But there are other times when we just have leftover dye bits on the counter and and we want to see what happens if I do this and this. Yeah. And we and all four of us who die in our studio all all have that piece of play in them. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting to see how different our ideas come out. That's really cool. The way that we do speckles even is completely different from person to person. Yeah. So if there's a permanent colorway that's that's speckled, if you came up with it and you want it to be permanent, then you're the person who dies that till the (laughs) end end of time. time. Forever. So you better really, really like it. Yeah. (laughs) And it's and it's not, you know, some techniques are not teachable across the board. And then other ones you can say, okay, so here's I'm drawing you a picture of how the dye needs to be laid out on the arm in the pot. Huh. That's interesting. So so yeah, and we we look at um, different ways that people are knitting. Yeah. And we look at the patterns that are out there. And sometimes I'll be knitting something and, and think the yarn is just pooling in, in a really weird way. Mm-hmm. And so I try to come up with what would make it better. Yeah, that design that you did that was the little like flamey structure that's yes. built specifically for the repeat of a, di- a yarn that you dye. It's genius. That's right. In fact, the, the yarn that we dyed, I was having so much trouble finding patterns that would work really well with it. And there's there are a few out there. Mm-hmm. And then I realized that this technique and this idea I'd been working on for several years was going to be absolutely perfect for it. And so we dye many more colors that are dyed that way because we know that it's going to work for this pattern yeah. specifically and other ones in the series that are going to come someday. Ooh, fancy. And so when we when people buy those yarns, we try to we try to tell them what they need to look for in a pattern. Yeah. To make them to make them work properly because a lot of people buy those yarns and they think they're going to sell stripe yeah and they don't and i've had i it's it's awful (laughs) because i've had people (laughs) i've had people email me and and argue with me over email about whether 
this is a self-striping colorway or not. And at the end of the day, I dyed it and I know what I would have to do. And they'll say, well, you know, so-and-so knit with it and on her blog, it's it's striping. Okay. Maybe ask her say, exactly how great. many stitches yeah, and gauge she has. She's really smart. She did the math. Yeah. She did the gauge. Yeah. <laughs> and so if you do that work, yes, you can make it self-stripe. You can probably make any yarn yeah. striped to a certain extent, unless it's got teeny tiny color repeats. Yeah. But, but even then, I-cord. Yep. <laughs> self-striping I-cord works. <laughs> And so, yeah, so we try, and I, I'm always trying, I get bored really easily, so <laughs> I change more than everybody else does. Ah, uh, that makes sense. Because I get bored with the type of yarn that I'm knitting with, and I get bored with what that looks like, yeah. and so I am constantly trying to come up with different ways. Yeah, that makes sense. So yep. you end up with a lot of like smaller color runs, uh, yes. like a batch or two of this one color, um, and then and then your standard repeatable colors. That's right. So you have a lot of a, a lot of new creative things cycling through. Exactly. So, but if you want, you know, if you want that Tardis blue, yeah, it's there. Sweater, then that color is there for you to to pick from. Yeah, for sure. So yeah. you're running both direct-to-consumer sales and traditional wholesale accounts with yarn shops. Yes. Um, a lot of dyers do one or the other, but it sounds like this small batch dyeing lets you do both. It does let us do both. And it's it's always been um, in our best interest, I think, to do both. Yeah. There are just so many more knitters out there that don't use the the internet, but will go into their local yarn store. Yeah. And so they're our only way of reaching those kinds of knitters. Yeah. And what the small batch dyeing allows us to do is it means that if we have a customer in England, for example, in uh, we have one shop in Manchester that we work with. When we send her colors, she'll tell us if there are specific repeatable colors that she wants. But for the most part, she'll say, send me 20 colors that um, that you know I'll like. And, yeah. and Ron will sit down, do some research about um, the area around their shop. Yeah. And personalize the names to that shop, so oh, then it really wonderful. becomes a super uh, souvenir yeah. for that area, which I think is is it's kind of a unique idea that's just kind of evolved. Yeah, that's really great. Um, very unconsciously, but I think it's brilliant. Well, and it means that and they love it. that the shop, you know, gets a surprise. This customers are get a surprise of what colorways they're going to get in in any shipment, and and also like a little sense of home in there as well mm -hmm. that's wonderful exactly <laughs> like you check out what's the pub down the street yeah that's great what's their best-selling beer <laughs> i love the internet like there's this would this not be possible internet. without the internet exactly it just has made the world a whole lot smaller yeah so yeah. you're passionate about being body positive yes there was a recent interaction that you talked about on instagram where someone got upset for, at you for using yourself as the model <laughs> And wanted you to yes. show your designs on more or presumably more like her models? She she approached me at a knitting event mm -hmm. where I had debuted the design that I was actually wearing yeah. when she talked to me. Um, that I then took off and put on the table. At, like as I was taking it off and putting it on the table for people to try on. Uh -huh. And she said, you know, I have no idea what this is going to look like on me um, because you only show your designs on yourself. Uh. <laughs> and I said, well, that's kind of the way my life has been yeah. my entire life. Yeah. And she says, well, yes, you're going to, but you're going to lose all these sales because, and, and I thought, <sighs> no. well, 
Yeah, you know, I might. Well, but I don't know. But here's the thing. You don't look like, you know, traditional model. Neither do I. Neither do, you know, 95% of the population. So, like, for 95% of the population, stuff on traditional models doesn't show them what it's going to look like on them. Exactly. And in my entire life, I have met one person who is a sample size eight. (laughs) And she was, it was very annoying shopping with her. We used to work in a building together where there was a fashion um, importer on the top floor. And twice a year, they would do like this open sample yeah. sale. And we go up there and she'd try on everything and it fit her perfectly. And everything would and look great on her. I just, I hate you. Yeah. Because she had exactly the sample size proportions. Yeah, that's crazy. She's the only person I've met in my entire life who does. Yeah. I also grew up with um, a couple of women who became models. Mm-hmm when they were in their early days. And I actually went to visit them in Paris once. Um, and so I lived in this apartment building for two weeks with that was filled with models. Ugh. Nobody ate the entire time I was there. Mm. <laughs> they drank coffee and I saw somebody eat a can of peas. Did somebody, once. they all smoke cigarettes too. Cause that they just, all smoke cigarettes. That's exactly how I picture them. But they them. wouldn't drink wine, which I thought was really weird. Well, wine is calories. Oh, and Nutella. A party. <laughs> a party was when a bunch of the models got together around a, a jar of Nutella. Oh, God. And like they each have a spoonful. Yeah, that sounds like a miserable life. It does sound like a miserable life. Now add on to that, that these women went into their modeling agency on a daily basis. They were weighed and measured oh, daily. Yeah, I don't want to live like and that. And they were told what parts of their bodies needed to change. Oh, yeah. So one woman, she, she had been working out like crazy and she had been dieting like crazy. And she, she came back home at the end of the day and she said, I have to lose five pounds off my but and how were you supposed to do that exactly like there was no healthy um guidance about how one might go about doing that no nothing it was just you need to go home and work this out that's so crazy and if you didn't then you didn't get runway work or you didn't get catalog work during catalog season or you didn't get fashion show work during fashion show fashion week it was it was crazy and it was very eye-opening and and i decided right then and there i think i was 20 at the time Mm -hmm that I could live a very, very long and happy life. Yeah. Not having to worry about all that stuff. Right. I, I would I would rather worry about, you know, making sure that I have really tasty food that feeds me as fuel. That's that's and, where I am. Yes. <laughs> and that I'm healthy. Yeah. I'm physically healthy, that I eat well, that um, I'm emotionally happy, all of those things. Yeah. And it also really showed me that being a skinny model type isn't a magic bullet. No. Nope. That even in their lives, there are still body issues yeah. that come up. And what fast forward, yeah. when Amy Herzog custom fit software came out and we were trying to get lots of people to use it and start knitting clothing that actually fit them um i started having classes where we we talked about fit and we talked about measuring ourselves and so on and so forth so i've literally been in the room while thousands of women have been have been measured yeah and i can tell you without exception every single one of them has something about their body that they have a thing about yeah And that's made me more quiet about the things that I have a thing about because I don't feel like they're any different than any other person. Nope. Yeah, I've taken into uh, tattooing things on my body that I don't like, you know, or piercing them. Like this is, this is a thing I'm on. Um, so like I'm, I'm on a mission right now to love my thighs. So I've got tattoos planned for my thighs because once they're tattooed, I will love them. There you go. 
right? It becomes it becomes a totally different thing. Yeah. Well, I'm- I also made a decision when I I was I grew up with very large breasts. Yeah. Oh, me too. And in my in, <laughs> pardon. Me too. Preach, <laughs> and, sister. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I had a breast reduction when I was thirty. Oh, nice. Thirty-two. Yeah. Thirty-two. And I had for my entire life, I was completely embarrassed of my of my chest, and I made this mental promise to myself from a very young age that if I could just fix this one thing, mm-hmm. I would be okay with whatever the rest of my body looked like for the rest of my life. Yeah. And you know what? It worked. That's great. I had the breast reduction. Um, it made me it made me a healthier person overall. Yeah. And um, it may be more healthy about about body image. Yeah. So, you know, not every day is perfect. No, it never it is. It never will be for any of us. Yeah. But but moving forward, it's like I, I realize that I'm not the only person that feels this way. Yeah. And that the solution for me around that is making sure I have clothing that fits me well. Yeah. And flatters flatters what I do have. It's one of the things that baffles me ab- about our industry. Like, it's couture. You you have the opportunity to make it exactly the way you want it. Yes. You know, granted, like, you have to build up the skill to know, you know, how to, how to change patterns, how to do those things. So, like, maybe the, you know, very beginning knitter doesn't have the skills necessary to do that. But mm-hmm. you can be on a mission and you can learn. And you, everything that you make can make you feel like a million bucks. You are literally building the fabric. Yeah. To cover your body. You are in 100% control of yeah. every single loop in well, that like, fabric. Well, you know, if you don't like where a button hits you right in like you know where your buttons gap at the top and the bottom of your boobs so like if you're making a cardigan and your buttons are in the wrong place you can change that you can make it exactly the way you want it so that it fits you perfectly and it's an effortless wear exactly you build the clothing of your life or don't build yourself sweaters that have button bands yeah that are going to do that yeah choose a different style exactly wear you know wear a cardigan that doesn't have any buttons or button bands that pins with a you know pin and then and like exactly. if, and if your body changes a lot then you can change where you pin it every single day exactly and the thing that I think people don't realize is there are so many knitters I talk to who talk about knitting garments for themselves and they say well I'm losing weight now I'm going to wait until I've done that no and then I will knit for myself but the reality is if your clothing fits you in the shoulders yeah, it'll it will fit always else. look like it fits you everywhere else yep because that's people are focusing on your face they're mm-hmm. focusing on on basically your shoulders on up. Yeah. Or if they're not, then they're assholes and you don't have to listen to them. And really, if it fits in your shoulders, it's going to be comfortable and you're going to look yeah. good because you're comfortable in your clothing. Yep. Oh, yeah. I'm passionate about this. <laughs> oh, me too. <laughs> Which yeah. is why I design the way that I do. I design yeah. clothing I love. I get an idea, you know, I've always loved asymmetrical sweaters, but, mm. you know, most of the asymmetrical sweater designs out there, if you have any sort of bust at all, you get the one flap look. Yeah. <laughs> where one half of your front is covered and the other one is kind of hidden <laughs> under your arm someplace. Yeah. So I started designing asymmetrical front sweaters where the actual body of the sweater has good coverage over your yep. bust. Yep. And the asymmetry happens only in the, in the neckline. Collar. Yeah. Uh, I love Antiope. I so absolutely want to like make a million and wear them all the time. Um, it very much fits with my personal aesthetic. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, all the things. Yeah, I, I make a lot of my clothing and... Mm-hmm. 
my design aesthetic has kind of shifted. So I started with lace and then I, you know, I've been making more regular garment rotation pieces, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, because I want, I want people to make the stuff they wear. Exactly. Antiope is exactly the kind of thing I wear as a uniform. Yeah. Almost everything I wear in the summer is some sort of sleeveless dress. Right. Usually with some weird asymmetrical thing happening. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted Antiope to be the sweater version of that. Yeah, it's perfect. And and it, it worked out exactly as I envisioned. And it's the sisterhood of the traveling pants garment. Yeah. Even in my size, every person that puts it on looks fantastic. Well, and that's the thing. Like you could, you know, it's it's like a line. So it's yes. gonna and it's knit. So it's gonna hug you where you want to be hugged. Yes. And you could belt it. You could like, you know, wear pants underneath it. You could wear another skirt underneath it. Yes. Like it's it's just. And it's I've a done, really versatile garment. I've done all of those things, and because it's 100% merino, um, my version is. Yeah. Um, I actually wore it in the summer as a dress, and it was cooler than my cotton dresses. Nice. Because it breathes, <laughs> and it wicks moisture away yep. and makes it disappear. Yeah. Um, I wear it over leggings, and now I'm wearing it um, over long sleeve t-shirts and leggings all That's the time. Perfect. I'll yeah. throw on a skirt as well if I want to look a little fancier. You can yeah. dress it up. You can dress it down. It packs like a dream. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that I really love about it is that the the wings at the bottom that people never want to have on their clothing because they're determined it's going to make them look hippie. No. Even if they, they have, to have no hips at all. Yeah. They, they start in the but right place. They start in the right place, but they're also shifted so that one is actually over the front of your thigh and one uh. is over the back of your thigh. Nice. So they just give you a lot of flow and a lot of like um, exactly. extra, extra like flare going, yes. but without actually and you can sitting twirl. on the hips. You can do the twirly. I thing. love the twirl. <laughs> oh man! But yeah, it's it's definitely the kind of garment I wear all the all the time, and yeah. so I wanted to wear it as an example of look, you can make your clothing literally from the ground up. Yeah, it's it's a mission that I'm on in my life. But it sounds like you and I are on a similar mission with the lack of pockets in women's clothing being appalling. That's a problem. Yeah. I mean, it's always been a problem, but now it's become a political issue also. Because women are the ones who (laughs) carry around the stuff, you know? Right. I I have a secret theory that it's a conspiracy of the bag industry. (laughs) Because if we make women's clothing without pockets, then obviously they have to buy bags. Right. But I want the pockets and the bag. <laughs> right? Because you should be able to keep, like, you know, the important stuff just in your pockets. Exactly. And then... But also, like, I do a lot of, um, you know, walking on the beach or walking in yeah. the forest. And I pick stuff up because I'm a yeah. collector. And um, don't ask my husband about my collection of rocks I've picked up from beaches <laughs> everywhere <laughs> I've ever gone. Um, and how they've moved with me every place I've ever gone to. Um, But I pick that stuff up, and if I don't have pockets, then I'm limited by the size of my hands, which are not that big. Yeah. Um, And then there was somebody on Twitter several, a few months ago that tweeted something about girls just don't need pockets. They need industrial-sized pockets to carry that, the, uh, for their pirate tools and um, rocks and twigs and that baby dragon they just found. So I, of course, have also designed the pocket dragon to fit in your pocket in case oh, you need perfect. a reason. That's wonderful. And Antiope doesn't have pockets, but I think the next one that I make will. 
And yeah, you know, I was already planning how to put pockets in it. I was I was thinking about um, reinforcing along where side seams would be, right? Yes. With like a bias tape and then having having a stitched in pocket, like fabric pocket, so that it wouldn't stretch. Yep, you can do that. You can definitely do that. Although I have I have knit pockets in serotonin, which is the design that came after Antiope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That um, they're just knit at a tighter gauge and they've been holding holding true yeah i was thinking more about the structure of um, the structure of antiope well because i don't want i don't want the uh the pockets to sag to bring the whole thing down i still want the whole thing to like you know float around and so like physically uh like a cotton lawn as the pockets nice inside would would like be light enough that the whole thing would still float. Okay, so you do your way. I'm going to do my way, and then we'll and then we'll see meet how it in the goes. middle. Yeah, <laughs> and teach the world about the glory that is pockets. I was watching the um, Anna Wintour document documentary. I can't remember oh, the yeah. name of it. Um, I think it's called September Issue. That's it, the September issue. And in one scene, Anna Wintour is in this designer's studio and the designer is showing this dress and it's going to do this and it's going to do this. And she'll have pockets, I don't know. And I, apparently I screamed at the TV, yes! <laughs> <laughs> and my husband just started quietly laughing in the background. <laughs> oh, man. Like, how is this even a thing that we're not thinking right? about pockets and everything? How? There should be pockets in everything. Exactly. There absolutely should be. I made a, a like a linen wrap circle skirt. Yes. And I put a secret pocket in the front underneath the flap mm-hmm. so it didn't mess with the lines at all. But like, I still have a place to put my phone. Cause, there you go. Because I, like, I walk around all day listening to podcasts while I work. Like, my phone has to go somewhere. Exactly. It either goes in my boobs or it goes in a pocket. Exactly. I've taken to wearing... Um just like a little waist apron in the studio that has yeah. all the pockets. So I can yeah, just Yeah, in the stuff. studio I have a waist apron. Yeah, exactly. For those days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can you tell me the backstory with Nerwin and Edwina? Yes, we have a, a yarn club, the Smart Ass Knitters World Domination. Yes, for World Domination. Club. Yep. And by the way, I think it's important to say that when I when I talk about world domination, like it sounds really fun and evil and stuff. But what I really wanted was to build a community of knitters, because what I was noticing is that groups of knitters are doing amazing things to change yeah. the world. And so I wanted this to be a fun club, but also a recognition that we're really going to take over the world. That we have power. In a good way. We have lots of power and we need yeah. to to wield it. And Nerwin was one of the, the club patterns. So it's designed by uh. Heather Sebastian. Sebastian, uh-huh. and um, it went out as one of one of the club patterns a few years ago, and nobody was really all that interested in it until one of our customers, Joanna, knit herself in Nerwin, mm-hmm. and Nerwin started going on adventures. Yeah. So Nerwin goes with her everywhere, and I think Nerwin is a little bit a little bit of Joanna's alter ego. Yeah, Nerwin has a wardrobe. He has a better wardrobe than most of us. <laughs> so he's got his. Toronto Football Club sweater, and he's got nice. his Gay Pride sweater, and he's got his um, <laughs> Toronto Maple Leaf sweater, and then he's got like just like this whole wardrobe of stuff. That's and cool. so Norman goes on adventures, and Joanna kind of document everywhere she goes. She documents yeah. with Nerwin as a focus. And more and more people started really taking notice and started making little Nerwins for themselves or for their kids. 
Yeah. And Kate Atherley yep. <laughs> made herself Edwina. Um, That's awesome. She decided that that her her version of Nerwin needed to be more like her, and Edwina is really mini Kate. Yeah. yeah. She That's has the wonderful. same wardrobe. Does Edwina have a moto jacket? Because she needs one. No, but there's a knitter, the test knitter for Kate's moto jacket. Yeah. In in Halifax also has a Nerwin and made her Nerwin, who's called Jasper, I think, made Jasper a moto jacket. So that's so we're great. waiting for Danielle to come out with the pattern and yeah. <laughs> let us all Edwina know. Edwina obviously needs a moto jacket. Yeah. So now Edwina goes on adventures with, with Nerwin. That's so fun. All over the world. And it's it's really, really funny. Yeah, Edwina has a pussy hat. Nice. She has a denim skirt. Excellent. Yeah, I was gonna say all <laughs> the cape things. She has a great dress. Yeah. She has all the cape things. She really she even has she travels with her own suitcase. <laughs> she always so has cute. a she always has a bottle of bourbon on her. <laughs> <laughs> She's a really good monster to know. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's just a really fun kind of side yeah. adventure. Thing. Yeah, I do that with plastic dinosaurs. Yes, I have one of your plastic yep. dinosaurs. Yeah, I've I've been a little less focused than I should be with the Dino Party, but I've I've been thinking about starting like a, a Dino Party Ninja site and have people like nice. Gorilla post all the dinosaur pictures. Oh, that's fantastic! Ron started a website where he basically took pictures because we have a ridiculous number of um, nerdy and geeky little yeah. things props <laughs> throughout our studio, and he um, he took pictures of them all one day and introduced them as our staff. <laughs> He sent this out. I think we made one of our club color stories all about this this little website, yeah. and um, he it was because of that that he made the website and um, made an actual email address that people could write to. Oh, that's great! And nobody's caught on, <laughs> <laughs> so we put all this effort into it, and nobody has caught on. Well, we'll see what we can do about that. Critterriddance.com. Critterriddance. Yes, and seriously, nobody has has figured out that. It's a real thing. Oh my god, this is amazing. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. That's so These great. These are the things that we do at Indigo Dragonfly on slow days. <laughs> well, sometimes you just gotta keep yourself occupied. Well, you know, and by slow days I mean the days when we have so many other things that need to get done. <laughs> that you're a little punch drunk and you start doing things. <laughs> you're a little punch shit. drunk and it's like, let's make t-shirts. <laughs> let's that's how the we have um if you come to our dye camp you get a um today is a good day to die. Oh god, that's so bumper great. sticker. Oh my god. And that was totally uh it was a Friday afternoon and we were all brain dead and couldn't handle real work, so <laughs> So it sounds like you guys really, really appreciate the the joys of creative play. We really do. And one of the things that I love about our studio is that everybody who's there is there because they love the work. Yeah. They love the people and they really believe in the work. And so we have as much fun as is legal <laughs> in Canada. Um, and there are some days when we are all so doubled over and laughing that I think this can't be real work. Yeah. And those days are really, really delightful. There, there are also days when things are really, really hard. Yeah. Um, and there's lots of work to do and everybody's really tired. But um, for the most part, we really enjoy the business and we really enjoy each other. And we really support each other's creativity, which I think is really important. Yeah, that's great. Oh, hey, um, what's your favorite of your yarns? 
I love caribou bomb. Yeah, that's the one that I, just, that I designed with. It's bouncy as hell. Like it's, yeah, it's oh. just a really simple, it's bouncy as hell. It's, it's a superwash wool that doesn't act like a superwash wool. The sweaters that I've made from it wear like iron, like nothing else I've ever worked with. Yeah, it's the twist. It's all the twist structure. It's all in the twist structure. And it takes color like a dream. Yeah, so it's, it's all the things. Yeah. Um, and while I really love me some cashmere for my everyday yeah. well-wearing sweaters, Caribou is my go-to yarn. I It's hard for me to design with other things right now. <laughs> That's fair. Well, and it's, it's a, you know, it's fingering weight for anybody who doesn't know. Uh, mm-hmm. Fingering weight with a really, like, really round twist structure. Yes. A really, it's a four-ply. So it's a round construction. And each of the plies is has a really high twist so it's yes. super super bouncy yeah um which just makes it like because it's round you know texture shows up really well in it mm-hmm. uh you'd have like i did i did a um garter stitch base shawl with a crocheted edging mm-hmm. in it and like the the crochet stitches all pop you know the whole thing like it, it's almost overspun Yes. To the point where, like, it just, it just, like, holds itself in a spring. It does. And so, like, you could block it outward. It could still be bouncy, but it's round, so it shows texture. Like, it just... It's an all-around great yarn. And it means when you wash it, it, it has memory, so it yeah, goes back. Yep. And I've never had anything stretch it. Yeah, well, it's like, it defies what superwash, you know, the tropes of superwash. It really does. It's, it, and so when people, and because I knit with it more than anything else, and it is <laughs> yeah. superwash, and it doesn't have those characteristics, yeah. it boggles me when I talk to people who say, well, I won't knit with superwash because it will do A, B, yeah, C, like, D. And I say, well, this okay, doesn't. so here's this yarn. And this is why. I'm not going to tell you what it is go and knit with it what do you think and they're like well it's clearly not a super wash wool and you're like yes it is yeah it is awesome um point made (laughs) yeah so there's a question that i ask everybody at the end of their interview okay what would you consider to be your superpower (laughs) i get asked this a lot oh really um my superpower is that i can always find where i park the car that is a really good one wait a minute it gets better okay even if i wasn't in the car while it was being parked (laughs) you just have car gps you have like coding skills and i don't know why that's so Um, weird but it's it's so weird my friends call me the um parking savant yeah that's amazing. They, so they just like will come out of a mall or a movie theater and, and be like, say, okay, "Where's our car?" The car. Yeah, and like it's this way, and I get it every single time. It's, <laughs> it's hilarious. It's the only thing that I truly do really, really, really well consistently, <laughs> and it's the only thing that I do that is not at all a marketable skill. <laughs> I don't know. I think you could stand at the uh, at the door to the parking garage and like be the reverse valet, right? You, that but could be marketable. Nobody wants to pay me for that. Aw, that's a shame. So I guess I'll just stick with this yarn thing. <laughs> I'm also really good at leaving piles of stuff everywhere I go. Yeah, uh, me too. And you can't move my pile because I know right? everything that's in that pile and exactly where it is. Yes. So if you say, I need this form, I'll be like, this pile like about halfway Lower down. Yeah. yeah. Oh, me too. Yeah. My father, I was telling this story in my studio the other week that um, when I still lived with my parents and my studio was in their basement, 
I went away to work for eight, eight <laughs> weeks. And while I was gone, my father decided he would help oh, me no. by cleaning my studio. Oh, no. Yeah. He also worked for me that year. And so it meant that the entire rest of the year, every time he wanted something, yeah, he'd come to me and say, well, where's the hole punch? Like, I don't know. Where is it? Where did I don't you put know. It? Where did you put it? <laughs> and he'd have to walk away. <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, I used to work in, in cataloging in the library. Oh, um, right. And we joked that it was always like piles. It was, you know, moving this pile to over here and going through this pile one book at a time and then making another pile. It was like, yeah. But I knew where everything was. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Don't mess with the piles. No, don't mess with the pile system. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks, Kim. Well, thank you. It was lovely to it's chat been... with you. Yeah, this has been fun. If you'd like to see pictures of Nerwin and Edwina, I've got a couple links in the show notes for you. But the best way is to follow Indigo Dragonfly's Instagram account. She cross-posts them. They're really fun. You can also find the secret website that Ron made of all the critters linked in the show notes. Kim has offered us a skein of caribou ba, that lusciously bouncy superwash merino wool we were talking about. So be sure to enter the drawing for that at yarnstoriespodcast.com. This week's expert interview will talk about how to get a bouncy yarn, despite the properties of superwash wool, with fiber author and teacher Beth Smith. Here's Beth. I'm here with Beth Smith, spinning queen, fiber teacher, author of Spinner's Book of Fleece, and How to Spin. She lives in Howell, Michigan. Hey, Beth. Hey, Miriam. So I wanted to talk to you today about mitigating the challenges of superwash wool. So first, let's talk a little bit about the challenges. Okay. You want me to talk about the challenges? Sure. <laughs> I, can, I can jump in. <laughs> <laughs> well, the challenges are it superwash wool doesn't act like wool. It feels more like a synthetic fiber. It acts mm-hmm. more like a synthetic fiber. Yeah. It doesn't have the memory that wool before it's put through all those processes have. Mm-hmm. So you don't get the... Uh, the bounce. The bounce back. You know, it doesn't hold its shape the way a, a wool garment would. Yeah. It, actually, it acts a lot more like alpaca, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It, like it has a different drape. It has a different hand. And yeah. it doesn't it doesn't reform into stitches so easily. Yeah. When, you, yeah. when it touches water, it spreads. And then it doesn't really bounce back the same way that regular non-superwash wool does. Like like better wool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so um, let's be clear about this to the listeners. Beth has a particular penchant against superwash wool. <laughs> so she's doing this interview under duress. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about the spinning structure and how you can how you can mitigate those challenges. Well, I'm going to assume that the superwash is a merino to start with. It is. So yeah. even though it doesn't have the same memory as a merino wool without the process would have, it still does have some of that crimp left in it. And the yeah. crimp is what gives you the bounce because generally wool wants to go back to its original form. So when you spin it, you're you're smoothing it and you're stretching it. And then when you put it in water and you let it 
relax and do what it wants to do. It wants to go back to that crimpy kind mm-hmm. of form, which makes it fluffy, but it also gives it the memory because it always wants to go okay. back to its original form. Yeah, it's the way it grew. It yeah. wants to be there. Yeah, which is why lots of things that you do with different spinning techniques that you do with wool are super awesome. And there's ways that you can make it actually act even more excited yes you can you can you can excite you can add energy to the to the wool like a party Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) put some booze in there everybody gets dancing (laughs) okay so how do you add the energy back to a superwash wool well to make it to give elasticity is really what you're yeah. trying to what you're trying to do yeah is more elasticity what i would do is i would spin the singles with a lower twist than you would normally spin them okay normally merino has about 10 to 12 crimps per inch mm-hmm. so in your finished yarn you want to end up with about 10 to 12 twists per inch Oh, so it would just like it nestles, the twist nestles naturally into the crimps. Right, exactly right. And so I never thought of it that way. It kind of, if you if you have a really crimpy yarn and you do it with a low twist, if you look at that yarn after it's in a skein, when you after you've soaked mm-hmm. it and let it dry, yeah. you can see like wiggly parts because it oh. wants to bring that crimp back. Yeah. So it, it basically, you have a lower rate of twist, which gives it space for the crimp to bounce back. Right. So you're going to put in the singles, you're going to put low, lower twist than that. Uh-huh. And then in the plied yarn, you're going to over twist it. Oh, so you might okay. want to put only five or six twists per inch in the singles, maybe up to eight, because you're going to lose some yeah, of that twist the when ply. you ply it. Yeah. When you ply yarn, you're going to lose about one third of the twist that you put in the singles. So you always want to... Mm-hmm add a little more twist in the singles than you want to end up end up with. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So you might want to spin the singles with about, you know, five to eight twists per inch. Mm-hmm. And then when you ply it, ply up to that 12 twists per inch. Yeah. So you've got a heavier ply. Yeah. So it's almost like it's over plied. Over plied. Right. People get nervous about over plying because a lot of times when you take a beginning spinning class or even not even a beginning spinning class, a lot of people like to talk about spinning a balanced yarn, which I am in favor of a balanced yarn in certain situations. But you can really add a lot more twist than you think before you get so much extra twist that it actually skews your garment. There's a lot of room. There's a lot of leeway. Yeah. So you don't have to really worry about it at all. If you take your skein when you're finished spinning, you -hmm. take your skein and you soak it. And, you know, a lot of times you take it, take that damp skein after you smash the water out Mm -hmm. and your, and your skein has that extra twist. You can have up to two twists and it's not going to make a difference at all. Oh, that's cool. So that's really good to know. I don't ever weight my skeins. Um, yeah. I actually like to lay them flat to dry because... Well, um, the bounce would recover. The bounce will recover better if it's just laid flat. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. That's really cool. So um, basically the, the idea would be to to give it... So in the singles, you would give the, the merino, the superwash merino, enough space to bounce back to its natural crimp. 
Right. And then add extra bounce in the plying. Yes. That's wonderful. And then you're going to end up with a really elastic yarn. There are some sock yeah. yarns on the market who that do take advantage of that elasticity. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes you go into the yarn store and you take these yarns and you're like, this has to have elastic spun in with it. And, and it doesn't. It's just the way it's spun. That's really great. Um, so reasons to add extra spin maybe to a, a not, you know, a regular non-superwash wool uh, would be what, like durability? If you if you worked it this way, like you could make a really bouncy, durable sock you yarn. Can. Yeah. Super awesome, bouncy sock yarn. Yeah. And adding, really so great. your lower twist is going to is going to let those crimps, you know, do what they want to do. And then in the ply, the higher twist is going to add durability. That's great. So I think, I think caribou ba is a three ply, which is going to make it really round and bouncy in that extra twist in the ply as well. And you like a... I mean, for a sock yarn, definitely you want. Yeah. Well, it's a fingering weight. It could be used for sock. It could be used for a bunch of different stuff. But like it's I really like that it mitigates the, you know, the like spread that Superwash has, but it's still Superwash, which means that, you know, I don't have to be quite so studious about the temperature that I wash it in or, you know, like if a baby pukes on it, you could put it in the washer. That's right. And it's not going to matter about, uh, you're not going to worry as much about pilling and stuff if you have a three-ply yarn because that three-ply, it tucks all more of those little ends in and so it's not going to pill as much. Mm -hmm. Four-ply is even better. Yeah. Yeah. It's either three or four and it's been a little while since I worked with it. So I'm, you know, trying to remember and maybe I'll edit this out because I will figure out which one it is. <laughs> uh, awesome. Thanks. You're welcome. That's really helpful. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. <laughs> Why, thank you, Queen of Spinning. <laughs> Many thanks to Beth for being our expert for this podcast episode. Beth has also launched a Patreon that will provide you with spinning tools, spin and knit alongs, and spin and weave alongs. There will also be Q&A sessions where you can get your spinning and wool questions answered. You should definitely check it out, and if you're looking to advance your spinning skills, this is a great way to do it and support an amazing teacher. Thanks for listening, and I know I sound like a broken record here, but please, if you're enjoying this podcast, you can help support it in a bunch of different ways, from sharing the podcast with a friend, posting about it on social media, donating money, or even sponsoring an episode. Please take that into consideration as you go through the rest of your two weeks until I talk to you again next time. This podcast was produced in Salt Lake City, Utah, with production help from Sid Fallon. Music is by the ever-elusive Breakmaster Cylinder. Join me again in two weeks when I talk to Sabrina Famalos from Anzula. Bye!